0: Two weeks ago during our Sunday morning service, we had a fire alarm go off right in the middle of the sermon. How many of you were here for that? That was awesome, was it not? And when it went off, most of us just froze and looked at each other and wondered, what are we supposed to do? Is it going to go off? Is it going to keep going? Should we leave? Should we stay? What is going on? And so for a while, we just sat here unresponsive to the alarm. The next day, I'm not joking. The next day, I was reading a book called The Examined Life. And the author was telling story after story after story of the destructive outcomes of people who failed to respond to fire alarms. No joke. Uh, on one occasion in 1985, during a football game, uh, a fire broke out and many people continued to watch the football game and the fire. And uh, tragically, 56 people died. On 9-11, when the first plane hit the North Tower, The fire alarm went off in the South Tower, and many people ignored it, continued to type, talk on the phone, and go to meetings. And many died uh, being unresponsive to the fire alarm. Um, Another instance came in Kentucky when a fire alarm went off in a restaurant. Uh, Many of the people wanted to pay their bills before they left, and unfortunately, many people uh, did not exit in time and died during that 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 fire. And, And so the question that the author was asking is that why do so many people fail to respond to fire alarms? And his answer was this, we resist change. Even the little small change that would save our lives, we resist it. Unless we are present it with a better option on why we should actually do something, we're fine just the way we are, and so we, we don't change. And this is not going to be a sermon rebuking you for being unresponsive to a fire alarm, though next time it goes off, we'll file out in an orderly fashion. But I want to pick up on this idea on people, us, being resistant to Change. We've been in the book of Proverbs for like nine months, almost a a year. And each week as we've been going through Proverbs, we've been going after the heart. We're trying to get you to change from foolish to wise living. And each week, if you've been here, the fire alarm has been going off. Time and time again. You have to change or destruction will follow. And a lot of us, including myself, We have been resistant to change. Take the seven deadly sins, for example. We spent seven or eight weeks going through those. We talked about pride, anger, gluttony, sloth, lust, envy, and greed. And the alarm kept going off. If you continue along these paths, you will be destroyed. And many times you sat there and I preached here and we're like, I don't see a fire. I don't smell smoke. I'm safe, and change doesn't happen. So this brings me to today, to the very last sermon in Proverbs. We're finally finishing today, and here's the question. Do you really want to change? Isn't it kind of funny if you say no, then I want to say, what are you doing here? Let me ask you another way. Are you teachable do you really want to change and are you willing to receive instruction to change and and of course we're talking about instruction from god's word but i have something else in mind today i have instruction that comes from someone else's mouth of correction of critique of criticism of challenge that goes right into your heart that's hitting on something where you need to change Are you teachable? Will you respond to the alarm that's going off, or will you continue on ignoring the alarm and continuing with the same patterns over and over and over again? Do you really want to change, and are you teachable? Let's look in the Bible for one last time in Proverbs. Proverbs 15. You want to turn there? Proverbs 15. And it's really simple what we're going to do today. I'm going to put it up for you. We're going to consider two types of people and the distinguishing heart traits that separate them and the two paths and the people who choose them. And the first path is going to be the teachable or on the path of life. And i just got to admit, today is not going to be one of these easy sermons for me to preach. It's not going to be one of these feel-good sermons. It's like kind of like I just feel like i got to preach it. i got to end Proverbs this way. Uh, we're going to throw out a lot of grace, but also a lot of challenge. So just kind of be ready for that. There's going to be some challenging things, and it's kind of hot in here, and I feel like we're going to be duking it out, so I'm going to take off my jacket, getting ready to throw down here. It is hot. The AC's broken. Sorry about that. The teachable on the path of life, point one. Let's go. Proverbs 15, verse 31. Let's follow along. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof, Will dwell among the wise. (laughs) Would you say that you are a person who is eager to hear correction from others? If someone wants to give you a hard piece of advice to make your life better, are you ready to hear it? Most of us would say, not really. No, thank you. I'm fine just the way I am. Keep your opinions to yourself. But the Bible is saying if you want to change and grow in wisdom and one day dwell among other wise people, then you've got to get to a point where you're doing this. When someone throws something at you, rather than saying, speak to the hand, I don't want to hear it, you got to be like, all right, give it to me. Give it to me. Say whatever you want to say. Go ahead, give it to me. I can handle it. Give it to me. I want to change. Give it to me. Right, what kind of person are you? Speak to the hand? No, I don't want to hear it. Or right, give it to me. Give me some advice. Give me some wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, I'll put it up for you. Chapter 9, verse 8 and 9 says, Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. It says that that if you want to grow in wisdom, that you're going to actually love people, love them who correct you. Like, wow, when someone corrects you, like, man, I just love you. I love the way you rebuke me. I love you. Thank you so much. That's going to make me wiser still so I can flourish. Proverbs 10, 17, the first part of it says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. So when someone gives you instruction, you pay attention to it. it. You're like blazing this trail on the path of life. Because walking in wisdom is like a journey. you get this? You're on this path of life. And get this, as you're journeying along life, there are things that are going to happen of what you know now, you're not going to have to know how to navigate it later. So in fact, as you journey through life, you need people to instruct you in the present so when you hit the future, you're going to make wise decisions. So we are gathering wisdom and information from the Lord, his truth, so that when the future finally happens, we know how to navigate it. And the Bible speaks to that. In Proverbs 19, 20, it says, listen to advice and accept instruction. Now, you can look at this next part, that you may gain wisdom in the future. Don't you like that? So listen to it now, so when the future hits, you'll know what to do. So it's like you can think about athletes who go through practice. Pay attention and practice because the future game is coming, and when the game comes, you're going to know what to do. Same thing happens in life. We want to be instructed. So if you're on the job and you wanna get better, you'll listen to what people have to tell you so that in the future, you'll be better at your job. If you're gonna get married one day, you go through premarital counseling because one day when the first fight hits in marriage, you're gonna wanna pay attention. If you're a kid, listen to your parents tell you how to respond when you see porn or, or when you have an opportunity to do drugs, It's taught now in the present, so in the future when it happens, you'll know how to respond. And so if you want to grow in wisdom now and in the future, you will be the kind of person that says, give it to me. Come on, give it to me. I don't care what it is. Give me some instruction. Give me some wisdom. I want to be open to it. Give it to me. But there is another type of person. This is point two. The stubborn are on the path of destruction, The stubborn are on the path of destruction. Back to our passage, Proverbs 15. Look at verse 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Uh, The scholar I've been using for Proverbs is Bruce and He says that when you ignore instruction, it's a suicidal move. It's like a suicidal move because it's like you despise your life. You have no regard for your life. The alarm goes off and you don't respond, because you don't care about your life. If if someone says to you, hey man, you keep partying like that, you're going to end up dead. Hey man, you keep working that many hours, you're going to ruin your life and those around you. Hey, if you keep acting like that and you keep avoiding people, by the time you're 80, you're going to be a big time loner. Pay attention. Wake up. The alarm's going off, but the stubborn, they're on the path of destruction. It's like the alarm keeps going and going and going, but they ignore it to their own destruction. Isn't it amazing how we as a people, and I'm including myself, we as a people can be so oblivious to our own issues? We we can have such these blind spots to issues going on with us. Others can see it, but we're like oblivious. It it reminds me, um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a Saturday Night Live skit. For those of you who used to watch Saturday Night Live back in the day, of course, no one does anymore, but back in the day when you used to watch it, there was a skit called Massive Headwound Harry. Anybody remember that skit? Massive Headwound Harry. Okay. So Massive Headwound Harry, he walks into a cocktail party with basically half his brain hanging out. And he's, he's happy and he's jovial and people around him are like, about to throw up, and they're like, "What's going on?" But they're freaking out, and he's like, "Happy, hey, how's it going, everybody? It's great to see you." Totally oblivious that his brain is hanging out. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we can not see our issues? We think that we're just fine. We're like the proverb uh, that says in Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So the fool thinks it's all good. We see people like with their brains hanging out. They got such issues. We're like, dude, you better deal with that. And they're like, I'm all good. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't need correction. I'm doing good. I'm fine. But their issue is so obvious for people to see. And the Bible calls these people, and I know there's a lot of kids in here, and I'm sorry I'm going to say this word your parents tells you not to say, but the Bible calls these people stupid. It does. I know you're not supposed to say that word, but the Bible does. And it calls some people stupid. Don't you say that word. The Bible can say that, okay? calls some of these people stupid and stubborn. Let me put up this passage for you. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. The person who does not listen to correction is stupid. In fact, the word stupid is referring in different passages to stubborn animals. It is. They're a stupid, stubborn animal. There's other verses that talk about stupid, stubborn animals. And people who do not listen to rebuke, or correction or like a stupid, stubborn animal. Now, there is precedent for what I'm about to do. Pastor John, one time was up here trying to illustrate the point of sloth, and he showed a picture of his dog. This morning, I'm going to illustrate the, per- the point of stupid and stubborn. So, I'm going to show a picture of my dog. Let's see her. There's my dog. Ah, yeah, exactly. So, This dog, just in case you're wondering, is called a sheep doodle Don't ask what that is. All right. Well, just so you don't get all confused. It's a sheep dog plus a poodle. Who knew? Yeah. So here we go. But this dog is cute, but stupid. (laughs) Cute, but stubborn. We're like, it's time to go to bed. Not going to bed, dragged by the neck, feet sliding all the way across the floor, get into bed, stubborn, but cute. So here, here, comes, here comes some of my hard preaching right now. Some of you are so cute, <laughs> but you are stubborn. You're just stubborn. You won't take correction, you won't take discipline, you won't. Take training. You're stubborn, but you're cute. As we've been looking at Proverbs, it's very clear that you're either on one path or the other. That's what Proverbs presents, one path or the other. But what we find in our own lives is that we're hopping from path to path, right? We're like, one day we're taking instruction, the next day we're not. We're like, boom, boom, back and forth, path to path. And, And the issue it comes down to, why do we keep hopping paths? it's it's because what's going on in our hearts. Some days we want instruction, some days we don't, and it all comes down to what is going on inside. This brings us to the next, look at verse 32. Whoever ignores instruction, chapter 15, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof, you got it? But he who listens to reproof Gains intelligence. Now, that word intelligence, for those of you who are looking in your Hebrew Bibles right now, that word intelligence is actually the word heart. So the person who listens to reproof has their heart shaped. By God's wisdom, and their heart will grow in line with God's truth. It will be formed with the way of Christ-likeness. So the issue is, what kind of heart is going to listen to reproof, and what kind of heart is going to reject reproof? What is going on in the heart? We get tipped off by the last verse, verse 33. shows us the heart. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So back to point one. The teachable are on the path of life. And who are the teachable? Those are the people with the humble heart. The humble heart that is open to change. It's a heart that fears the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Here we are nine months later. What does it mean to fear the Lord? God is God and you are not. And since he is God, he can tell us what we need to do. He can change us and we're open to receive his instruction. We're humble, we're not proud because God is instructing us and shaping us and making us more and more humble and wise. And so those of you who truly accept instruction, and critique, and challenge, you realize that you don't have everything figured out. You need some change. You need to know a better way, and so you're open to instruction. You're always growing. You have a humble heart. Proverbs 17.10 puts it like this. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So you can take a fool and try to instruct him and you can physically beat him 100 times and he won't get it. However, a man of understanding, all you need to do is talk to him. He'll take the verbal correction. It will go th- deep down inside of him and he will embrace it and he will find his heart changing because it's a humble heart. It's a heart that wants to change. But what about the heart of the stubborn person? Well, go back to point two. The stubborn are on the path of destruction. The stubborn have the proud heart. When you find yourself resistant to change, resistance to reproof or rebuke or challenge, if you find yourself resistant putting up the hand, probably something's going on inside. You're too proud to take advice. You're too proud to take wisdom. You're too proud to take correction. One of the uh, most famous verses on this, um, I really like it. I like it in the NIV version. It's Proverbs 13.10. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. So rather than take advice, get this, the proud person rejects it and arguments breaks out. Because why? The proud person always wants to be right. The proud person never wants to be wrong. The proud person sees no reason to change. The proud person has a heart that says, you know what? I'm right. I'm never wrong. And you know what the proud person does? Get this. The proud person keeps making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And even in the church environment, we can say the proud person continues to do the same sins over and over and over again. They don't think anything's wrong. They're not ready to take instruction because their hearts are proud. It's baseball season right now and many of you have your kids in Little League and usually when you start Little League Baseball, you start out in T-ball. And I've been a part of plenty of T-ball teams with my kids and what tends to happen in T-ball, in fact, it happens every year in a game, a kid will hit the ball and run to third base. I never want that to be my kid. But he he runs to third base, and you tell the kid, look, man, you got to run to first. And they'll go, okay. But sometimes a kid won't get it. Next time up, he runs to third base. And you say, look, man, you got to go to first base. And he's like, well, third base is so much closer. I just can just go right there to it. And, and kids that keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're like, dude, what is your problem? Maybe they're not teachable, they're not coachable, maybe they're proud, but those are just kids. But we're adults. And we've been in Proverbs for nine months, and some of you are still running to third base. Go to first. No, I, I prefer third. And you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And why do you do that? It's because you're proud. You have a heart that's full of pride. You don't want to change. You don't want to be corrected. You don't want to know how to change. You're like, I'm I'm good going to third. And I'm wondering how many images I have to give you today, right? The fire alarm's going off. You're not moving. Your issues are as obvious as a massive head wound. You are as stubborn as a dumb dog. Dude, why do you keep running a third? So maybe that doesn't work. None of, the, none of that works to change you. And so I think there is an image that may finally go right at you. And it's the image that is more ancient. And that is the image... Of the cross. Why are we here? We're here because we believe that this God-man named Jesus had everything in, in glory in heaven. He had all the riches he could possibly want and we believe it's why we're here that he actually stooped down and humbled himself to become a man and walk on this nasty earth in this flesh and that he was placed upon a cross Not because he was a proud, arrogant person. He was humbled, the most humble to ever live. He was in the place of the the proud and the arrogant, and that's us. And the Father's wrath was poured upon him for our pride and our arrogance. And he was buried, and he rose again, victory over sin and death. And now he's exalted to the great right hand of the Father. And now here is his message. Make sure you get this. Here is the gospel good news message. It goes something like this. Point the finger at yourself and say, I am the one that is the main problem. It's me, my pride, my arrogance. I'm the problem. And then Jesus goes, all right, now do this. Come on, Jesus. Forgive me. I have problems. I have sin. I need to be forgiven. I need to be reconciled to you. And that happens through faith. We are people of the cross. We, we are here because we admit that we are broken and humble. We can't save ourselves. We can't change ourselves. That's why we're here. We're people of the cross. How dare us be arrogant in the shadow of the cross? Because the cross, the, the, the message has no room for arrogance unless you're pointing at your own pride. And, and it humbles us. So, how dare we ever say, I don't need to change, I'm fine. We're people of the cross. and People of the cross admit their weakness, their brokenness, their sin, and say, we need help. We need salvation. We need power to change. So there's our image. That's what rattles us. That's what saves us. That's the grace to change in the cross. And now that we are people of the cross, broken, humble, we do want to change. And as we wrap up Proverbs... I'm going to hit five categories that I've hit many times throughout Proverbs. And let's take the image of the cross, humble people wanting to change, and see if God can do a work in us and start to move us toward change. So five categories of change right here. Number one, many of us, all right, most of us, all right, all of us. We need to change relationally. Where do you need to change in the way you treat other people? We have issues with other people. This world would be fine if there was just us, me, by myself, without other people. But since we have to interact with other people, there are ways that we treat them that's full of hate, impatience, anger, wrath, whatever it is. Maybe you're too bitter, too impatient, too distant. Where have you failed to love others and you need to change? I'm not calling you to change instantly, I'm just getting you to the point where you're pointing the finger at yourself and saying, I need to change. I've told you about this before, and many of you know this from years ago, but my wife uh, many years ago started a group for women. It was called the Angry Moms Group. There were a lot of angry moms, and so they had issues with their kids. Any angry moms in here? Well, they would, they would get together and they would talk about how angry they were <laughs> with their kids and challenge one another and teach one another and encourage one another. But if that's you or if you have relational issues, you first have to come to a point where you say, I have issues. I need someone to teach me. I need someone to instruct me. But if you're not teachable, you'll just continue on the same patterns of running to third. The second issue that we need to change is professionally. Professionally. How many of you really enjoy performance reviews at work? Aren't those just awesome? Don't you just love it when someone gets to come up to you and tell you the good things you have done and also the things you need to work on? And sometimes you may feel that these performance reviews are not fair. i tell you what's not fair. This past week... This is talking about basketball here. Try to track with me. The coach of the year from the Denver Nuggets. Coach of the year. That means everybody thought he was the best coach of the year. He was fired. Does that sound fair? Yeah, there's sometimes when we have these reviews and our evaluations, you're like, that doesn't seem fair. But get this. What I want to encourage you to do is that when people review you, evaluate you, critique you, slam you, be willing to do this. Turn your critics into coaches. Turn your critics into coaches. Though they may be wrong 99% of what they say, where is the 1% that they may be right? As a pastor throughout my years, I've had plenty of critics pretty of com- I have a complaint. I actually have a complaint department, all right? I've had a lot of complaints. And a few years back, um, there were some criticisms that came my way regarding my ministry ability. It wasn't hard issues. They were saying, your ability is lacking in this. And it was very hard for me. And I was, uh, a few months, I was very discouraged because it was, it was critiquing, criticizing my ministry ability. And so after I uh, quit whining, After a few months, I decided to say, okay, which part of their criticism is right? And I decided, okay, look, I have some issues. I need to work on stuff. And so I went back to school as an adult. And this past December, which is actually kind of humorous for me to tell you this, this past December, I graduated with a doctorate degree. But do not be impressed. Because I'm not. I'm not the smart guy. And for any of you who call me a doctor, I'll laugh in your face. People say, well, why did you pursue your doctor? Did you want to become some famous doctor or something? No, because I had issues I needed to address. And I had a chance to grow and improve and see other areas where I need to grow and improve and still need to grow and improve. Turn your critics into coaches and learn that you can change even professionally through their critiques and criticisms. Even if 99% of it's wrong, take the 1%. Where can you change? Where can you get better? Do not dismiss your evaluations. The third area is many of us need to change physically. The Proverbs has said a lot about our bodies. It says the body says, don't abuse your body through drunkenness, gluttony, or sexual immorality. And maybe there have been times where you are abusing your body in these areas and you need to be open to change. And what I love to see in our church is people who exercise together. Uh, they keep each other accountable with regard to their body and what they eat. Or they keep each other accountable for sexual purity. Or they keep each other accountable for sobriety. Because what tends to happen is that our bodies can become out of whack and our appetites and passions can get away from us. And we need other people to encourage us to speak truth on how, in a sense, we can beat our bodies and bring them in submission to us and the spirit. The fourth area where we need to change is spiritually. Spiritually. And it's very hard to confront someone spiritually, especially if you can't point to any blatant sin. How can you tell if someone needs to change spiritually, they need to grow spiritually? How can you even make that evaluation? And, and it's hard to do within the church. But one of the things that's an indicator that someone needs to grow spiritually is that you do not see them in community. You don't see them in fellowship. In fact, they're not in community and fellowship. And if, when I confront those of you in our church who are not in community and fellowship, I may ask you, why are you not in community and fellowship? I'm just asking you in a very nice way. And the answer is usually something like this. I'm too busy or not during this stage of my life. As if the Bible has these exceptions. You need to be in fellowship unless you're too busy You need to be in fellowship unless you're at a certain stage of your life. There are no exceptions. We're not going to grow. We're not going to hear what others have to say into our lives unless we're in this consistent, accountable fellowship. And there are no excuses why we shouldn't be in that. We need to hear the critiques, the encouragements of other people because we need to grow. And Now the last area of change, just kind of made this one up here, is radically we need people in our lives that are going to challenge you and encourage you to step outside your comfort zone because of the default of every single person here and the default of my heart will be one of seeking comfort. I want to be comfortable. I want a life of ease. And I need you to encourage me to keep pressing out and stepping out of faith. This past week, my wife was talking to someone. She, was, she doesn't even live on our street. She comes to volunteer. And she was pushing this woman on her street in a wheelchair who can't move. And she just comes and volunteers her time. And my wife was talking to her. And this woman's a believer. And not only does she volunteer her time with this woman here, she has brought in uh, an HIV child into her house. In fact, she's also invited a family of four to come live with her through, that, that needs some financial help. So here she is volunteering, helping this woman here, and she uh, has an HIV child and, and a family of four living with her. And my wife came back, and she said, man, I am so encouraged when I talk to her. And I thought, well, why would you be so encouraged by that? That sounds crazy. That's kind of the point. We, we need people to stir us up, believers to stir us up to love and and good deeds, to step out, to to not always seek that which is comfortable, to to branch out and move out in faith and and a radical lifestyle in service to the Lord. So I end with a dare. I end Proverbs with a dare. And the dare goes like this to everyone here. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you this week, to find someone, a friend, a colleague, if you're really brave, your spouse, if you're really, really brave, one of your kids, and ask them this question. Give me one area I need to change. Tell me just one area I need to work on. Just give me one. If they start making a list, say, no, no, don't make a list. (laughs) Just one. Give me one area I need to work. And here's the trick. Here's the trick. This is the big trick. Not the area you think you need to work on. Isn't it interesting? We want to work on issues that we think we need to deal with when there's something else, massive head wound, we need to deal with. Yes? Is that true? We're oblivious to the issue that others see. Ask someone that knows you, what is it? What do you need to work on? Tell me. And then as you start to address it in grace under the cross, change will happen slowly. But change has got to start somewhere because, my brothers and sisters, the alarm is going off. Are you responding? Your issues are obvious. We see them. Don't be stubborn. Quit running to third. Third. We're people of the cross. There can be change. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Do we believe the gospel that we preach to others? Do we preach it to ourselves? We can change by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's do this. All right, come on. Come on. Give it to me. Give it to me, God, through your word. Give it to me, my brothers and sisters. Give me the truth. Come on. Let's change. Let's grow. We're people of the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that it's not about us working in our own power. It's not about us getting our act together. It's about us recognizing who we already are, and we are broken people. We are broken people that need help. It's overwhelming how much help we need. It's overwhelming how much help I need. If if dependence is the goal, then weakness must be the path, and so may we recognize that we're weak. We need help. We, forgive us for our stubborn hearts, our pride and arrogance. How dare we be full of pride in the shadow of the cross? Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us. Thank you for changing us. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. If any of them are not responding, I just ask today will be the day they start responding. They'll start talking. They'll start opening themselves up to change so that we're not back here a year ago a year from now, with the same issues, the same issues. So may you change us now, Lord. May you continue to work on us now by your grace as people of the cross. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen.